0: Well, I am Glenn Geek from
2: Ocala, Florida. And I am Lisa Wysocki from Nashville, Tennessee. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 14th, episode 3019. This episode is brought to you by Stateline Tack. Good morning, horse world. It's Wednesday morning. That means Jamie and Glenn are back to talk horses with all of you. Well,
0: let's be honest. Jamie
2: talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show.
0: And today I get to hassle Lisa, so that's fun. Yay! <laughs> Lisa's it here. Is. Yes. <laughs> Jamie's off doing something fun. She, I think she was taking her kid to a concert in in uh, Texas. So that's what she was what? up to. It's like fun. Yeah. So I for, very rarely get to work with yeah. you. You're usually filling in for me. So uh, this is fun. Nice. I know, I know. This is, this is great. Uh, so I get to talk to you for a change, because I really don't talk to any of my hosts until, unless the show. <laughs> During the show, we don't talk much. Otherwise. <laughs> so on today's show, we have Nochi Miller, who's going to join us to explain worlds. While we were on our trip... Uh, Lisa, uh, we were staying, I'm not going to say who it was, yeah. but we were staying at somebody's house, and we were just talking about horses, and they said, oh, I looked at this horse for sale, but uh, it was a really nice horse, but it had two worlds, so I couldn't buy it. And I went, do people really believe that? And apparently they do, so.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I am a believer. I am one of those people, Glenn.
0: Okay. Well, Nochi Miller's here to explain that yeah. there's a science to it all, and what they really mean, and. You know, do they say anything about your horse? She's going to explain that. She's the expert on whirls. Auditor Jenna Lay is is, uh, talking to us about her evacuation from the fires of California with eight horses. And she learned some lessons, which she shared with the auditors. And I asked her to come on today and we'll get caught up on how her and the horses and her farm are. Uh, Horses and history goes back in time uh, when horses ate mostly bread. Horse bread, that is. We're going to talk about that uh, and some equine-related news all on today's show. In the Auditor Post Show, Lisa, I want to talk to you about, you were just at a con, which I can't even say the name of. What was it called?
2: I was. It was called Boucher Con. It's one of the largest mystery conferences in the world, mystery book conferences.
0: Well, I want to ask you about that because yeah. I've i never so, even heard of it before. So we'll talk about that. Too. It,
2: it was very interesting. Very interesting.
0: All right, we'll talk about that in the post show for the auditors. Hey, uh, the FEI does a lot of educational campaigns, but this one is right up our alley here on horses in the morning. <laughs> uh, so if if you if you if you cringe when we talk about peeing, this is not a segment for you. I would skip ahead about five minutes and, and <laughs> because the FEI really doesn't want you to pee anymore. They don't want you to pee, and they don't really want you to pee in your horse's stall or the horse trailer now. Now, all of us who have not peed in horse trailers or stall raise their hand. Yep, I didn't think so. Then There's no That's hands up. Like
2: nobody. Nobody. It's gonna be like nobody. Nobody. <laughs>
0: We've all done this because, first of all, <laughs> let's face it: we would all rather pee in the in the in the horses uh, tray in the horse trailer in the stall in the trailer. We'd rather pee there than in the yeah. porta potty because the porta potties are disgusting. So. They they, are, and it's funny because the trailer is less disgusting than the porta potty. So, there's that. (laughs) <laughs> um, but apparently, you know, as we've all heard, there's been some cross-contamination. Uh, it, it was a decision in 2020 that really brought this on. And basically, this guy uh, peed in the horse's stall, and the st- uh, the horse tested positive for a, a banned substance. And, you know, the, the guy named Augustine, uh, he said, well, you know, I am taking an antidepressant. And sure enough, th- that's how they determined it got into the system. Now, the FBI wasn't totally buying that at first, that he peed in the horse's stall. Um, and they weren't. he wasn't totally buying it, but apparently they went out to some experts, uh, external ex- scientific experts, and they said, yeah, that's scientifically plausible. Now, he would have had to pee on the hay, and they would have had to ingest the hay for that to work. Wow. So— I'm not there's sure why you're glad. I'm not sure why you're peeing on the hay, uh, but <laughs> that's that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> so you know and why I, the
2: horse would eat it? Yeah, if he exactly.
0: Did. <laughs> exactly. Of course, I think Scooter <laughs> would eat anything that's on the floor that looks edible. Well, so, <laughs> there you go. So they're going to do this whole campaign about not peeing in the stall. So there's that. Maybe we could work on having better uh, toilets at horse shows. You know, there's that. We could work on that. Now that would be that would be a thing. Mm. Yes, yes. But like Jamie's barn. Yeah. When we were there, Jamie's barn is a long way from the house, and there's no there's no bathroom in the barn. Guarantee she pees in the barn all the time because it's a long. You have well, to of take the gator does. and ride up to the house to go to the bathroom. Nobody does that. Yeah. Right. Uh But but that's.
2: That's one thing. When it's another thing when you've got forty thousand people in the porta potty and people you don't know, and and then you're you're trying to you know use it and it's disgusting.
0: And there's no toilet paper and there's no way to wash your hands and all of exactly. those things. <laughs> exactly.
2: And and it's damp and it's like disgusting. So yeah.
0: Well, what it comes down to, though, I'm going to do yeah. my own PSA. What it comes down to is, you can pee all you want in in the in the horse trailer and the stalls, as long as you're not going to a competition where they're going to test. <laughs> so, you know, because otherwise, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> Unless you're going to a testing competition, it doesn't matter, right? right? But the FEI really doesn't yeah, want those FEI horses having that problem. So, <laughs> no. So there you go. No. Newest important campaign wow. by the well, FEI. Wow.
2: As if they didn't have anything else of more importance.
0: (laughs) And on that note... I only have one auditor birthday today after Monday where we had like 65. Uh, One today. Debbie Payne, happy birthday to you. Have a great day, Debbie.
2: Hey, so my... um my daily when he goes to somebody I don't even know and I was driving back from Minnesota uh, back to Tennessee a day or so ago and there was a wreck uh, ahead of me and there was a guy who was standing in the middle of the freeway flagging cars down because the wreck was like over a hill and so my my daily when he goes to him for being so brave and um, because all these cars would have like gone up over this hill and it would have been like a chain reaction and I was just so glad he was there because I'm going, what in the world is he doing waving his hands in the middle of the freeway? I should probably slow down. And um, yeah, so I am so glad I am so glad because he's right there in the middle of the, of the lanes and he's jumping up and down waving his hands. I'm going, man, that guy's going to get hit, you know, but then you get up, you know, over the hill and you can see there's there's like a wreck across the road. So. You know, and it probably had just happened because police and stuff weren't there yet. But I'm like, holy cow, that was a little scary. But (laughs) that's my daily, Winnie. I'm Uh glad he was
0: there to the unnamed road (laughs) guy. Well, before we get to our first guest who had to evacuate the fires this time in Canada, um, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what's going on over at State Line's having a sale. That's right. They are having a warehouse clearance sale. It's the time of year when we used to do it when we had our store, too. But they have all kinds of deals. Right now they have Troxel Spirit schooling helmets for $33. They have Easy Care boots for $56. That's a big sale on those because yes. they're, they're not cheap. Yes,
2: and I love those helmets. <laughs> yeah. I, I have several. I love them. Well,
0: they have the Sport 2.0 schooling helmets, and these are a lot of what people use for for Operations like yours, right? Where Mm -hmm. a lot of people are wearing them, they have them for $21. It's just
2: amazing.
0: I know. Saddle pads for $7. I mean, it's a big sale today. Now, a lot, some of the sizes, I checked the helmets and most of the sizes were available, uh, but that's not going to last long. Carrots performance tights for $33, which is unheard of. Wow. Uh, Boots, I mean, there's how many pages? Uh, 10 pages. <laughs> Holy of, cow. Of stuff on sale, which means they really are trying to clear out the warehouse. I think what's happening with a lot of these companies is they got so far behind and then they overordered. And I don't know if this is the case for mm. State Line, but it's true. A lot of companies, they overordered and they're overstocked now because the stock started coming in and the orders slowed down. So right. you know, they, they, that's what I'm thinking that this is. They have to make some room for the new stuff coming in. And we always did it this time of year too, because the winter stuff's coming in. Sure. And blank. Blankets take up a lot of room in your warehouse. <laughs> so, <laughs> <they do. laughs> so you heard Jenna say about not having enough lead ropes. Well, they have lead ropes on sale, too. So check those out over there. Halters, lead ropes, all kinds of stuff. Go to StatelineTAC.com. Auditor Jenna's joining us, and she had to evacuate with her horses because of a fire. There's a lot of those going on in the West right now. And she's going to tell us the lessons she learned doing it that we can all learn from. Well, hi, Jenna. Thank you so much at this uh, this interesting time for you joining us. I appreciate it.
1: No worries.
0: So, tell us what happened a couple days ago.
1: So, the morning of Friday, September 9th, um, I was actually out in the barn with the farrier and I started getting a whole bunch of messages, and text messages, and Facebook messages from people asking if I was affected by the fire. And I was kind of like, what fire? I don't see smoke or flames or anything.
0: Where, were, um, and where are sure enough, you? I was-
1: I'm located in a community called Laidlaw. We're just a couple kilometers west of Hope, British Columbia, Canada. Okay. So I went onto our local Facebook page and sure enough, five kilometers from us, um, overnight a fire was started along the highway and it was burning along the mountain in very mountainous terrain. And because it started at 11 o'clock at night, the firefighters could, couldn't start actioning it until daylight. Um, Luckily, it was right along Trans-Canada Highway Number 1, which goes straight across Canada, so it was very visible. Um, And we're also on the other side of the highway is the Fraser River. Um, And then not even a kilometre from where the fire started is actually the Hope Airport, which is where all of the wildfire helicopters are dispatched out of. So immediately, they had two wildfire helicopters uh, actioning the fire. Um, but again, it was Friday morning. I didn't see smoke, I didn't see flames. Nothing of concern. The wind was kind of blowing southwest, so we weren't getting affected at all on Friday. Sure enough, Friday afternoon, I drove into town. and as soon as I turned the bend on the highway um, about a kilometer from me, it's just flames right up raging up the mountainside. So I, I was concerned for sure. and we live in a very windy uh, area. Um, In the summertime, we usually get westerly winds. In the wintertime, we get easterly winds. And at this point, it was kind of changing. And it was going southwest, east, west, just swirling around a little bit. Um, So Friday, things um, held. On Friday morning, it was five hectares. Friday evening, it was 20 hectares. And then Saturday morning, we woke up and were informed that the fire had grown substantially overnight. It was still going southwest towards us. And it had grown to over 200 hectares. Mm. So at this point, you know, I'm starting to see smoke. It's that red-black kind of ominous smoke on top of a mountain. Because our property, the south side of our property is just a mountain space, um, heavily forested. So, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm itching. I'm not feeling very good about the way things are going. And at this point, the winds are really shifting west directly towards us. So Saturday afternoon, I start making phone calls. My first phone call is to my friend Liz, who just lives outside of Hope, and she's a wonderful lady. She has set up a great community group with all the horse owners so that we share contact information and resources and so that we have evacuation plans in order. Um, I knew right away that the two retirees on my property, they're a thoroughbred and a thoroughbred cross in their 30s and late 20s, that I can send them to Lynn and or Liz and not worry about them. So I called her, I said, Liz. Do you have space for them? And secondly, do you have a trailer and can you get here and get these horses? She dropped everything she was doing and she was there within minutes. So we loaded up the two uh, two retirees and off they went to her house. She had help on her hand to unload them and uh, everything was good. My next phone call, um, I had known that another lady in Hope that was closer to the fire on Saturday or on Friday night, had evacuated her two horses to uh, Mieli Meadows Equestrian Center in Agassiz, which is about 25 minutes west of us. So I, I texted Miel and said, Miel, this is my situation. I have two mares and two foals, a three-year-old and a four-year-old who's been recently gelded. I know you have a facility that has safe fencing and safe accommodations. Can you house us? And she said, absolutely. Let me know when you're coming. So that's the point when I reached out to Facebook and friends. So while I'm waiting for trailers and trucks to arrive, I go around the barn and I put halters on everybody. I make sure they're locked in from pastures into their stalls so that they're easy to grab. And as I'm doing so, I realize I have eight horses on my property and I have seven lead ropes. (laughs) I've just been neglectful in moving halter to horse and lead rope to halter and didn't even realize in my five years of having my property that I've given away halters or lead ropes have broken. So we made do with a rein on the last uh, the last halter. So that's definitely the first lesson that I learned is is make sure that you have a lead rope for every single halter and every single horse. The first stock trailer arrived and having theirs in full, I didn't know how they were going to load. So my filly, uh, my youngest filly is just over two months old and she's still of a petite enough size. Um, we loaded the mare who walks on the trailer, no problem. Um, and we went to load the the filly and she's like, I'm not so sure about this. So we just, we took the mare off. I led the filly up to the trailer. I lifted the front end. My friend pushed the bum. We got the filly on, just kind of held her at the front of the trailer. Mare loaded. That's a nice thing about little ones,
0: isn't it? You could just throw them in. Yeah.
1: She's she's only about 150 pounds still. So it was easy enough to get her on. Um, the next trailer that arrived, um, cause the two oldies were already gone at this point. So the next trailer that arrived was my friend, uh, from Langley. She made amazing time coming. Um, and she showed up with this gigantic, she borrowed a friend's trailer actually, cause she wasn't sure if she was taking mares or foals and the geldings. So she showed up with a three horse, uh, angle hall, huge oversized trailer, which is lovely. Um, the only issue is as she opens up the doors to load my two geldings is there's a, a very steep ramp which I've never, I have a step-up angle haul. I've never loaded my horses onto a wrap trailer. So I was like, oh, this, this might be interesting. But I've practiced trailer loading a lot with my two gellings. Um, my four-year-old yields well to pressure, so he kind of walked up to it, took, took a couple steps on the ramp, backed up, and then with a little bit of encouragement, walked right on. And then it was my three-year-old's turn, and he hasn't trailered since he went to his inspection as a foal. Um, but again, I always have my trailer hooked up. I'm usually, you know, in and out of the trailer, but I hadn't actually got to the point of enclosing the, the ramp on or the, the trailer door on him. I'm like, all right, this might be the fun one. Sure enough, he follows his buddy right on, closes the ramp, stands perfectly like a little gentleman. <laughs> so that, that warmed my heart a lot. And then it came to the last set of mare in full. Now, this is my Andalusian mare. I think you've you've seen her before in my previous post. She's my big gray mare.
0: Yeah. And yeah. this is
1: her. Yeah. So she loads like rock stars. No problem. If there's food, she's going. Um, but her filly, she's five months old. She's She leads. She's I don't want to say halted broke. I know we don't like that term, but she leads. Um, but I've never even thought to start practicing trailer loading. So, Mare loads on. She's happily eating hay and a bit of grain in, in, the, in our trailer, which is now, you know, the dividers opened up, and it's it's like an open stock trailer, and this filly isn't getting on, and she is she's five months old, but she's honestly the size of a yearling. She is a tank, and there's no amount of pushing and pulling that is going to get her feet to budge, and it was getting at the point where she was getting upset, and we're getting stressed, and it's getting dark. It's getting late, so we just made the decision. We put them back in their paddock. We backed the trailer right up to the gate on their paddock door. And we used my corral panels as a a funnel. And we closed one, because my two-horse trailer has two doors in the back. So we closed one door, so only half of it was open. Oh, you made a
0: shoot! The mare
1: led off. Yeah. So we led the mare on. She, again, was standing happily in the trailer eating. And then we just kind of directed the filly towards the trailer and two of us are behind her clapping and encouraging her forward. And she ran right on. No problem. Closed the door and off we were. Um, so yeah, that's a couple of my, uh, my uh, tips and learning lessons there is make sure you practice trailering and trailering in a variety of trailers because you don't know what's coming when you need help. And um,
0: everybody's wondering, so you, you brought the horses out. Uh, how is everything now? We're what two days later, where are we at with the fire and stuff?
1: So, last night, um, we got the news of the evacuation order. So, let me start first off by saying Saturday night, we were just on evacuation alert. We weren't required to leave at that time. But knowing my mixed herd and not knowing where trailers were coming and how things were going to load, I was like, we're leaving tonight before things, before the F hits the fan. So, we left Saturday night, arrived at the evac barn, and everybody unloaded in tandem, settled in perfectly. Sure enough, Sunday morning, the evac order came down. Overnight, that fire went from 200 hectares to over 500 hectares, wow. and it was red right at our doorstep. That smoke was settled right in our valley. It was thick. It was hard to breathe. So if I had to do it all over again, you're definitely moving on the evac alert, not waiting for the order to come down. So that was Sunday morning. Um, last night, Tuesday, we got the news that uh, the firefighters had done amazing work and the winds had shifted in our favor and the evac order was lifted. So I got to come home last night and I'll make the ring. And your property's uh, still the there?
0: Whole- Everything's good?
1: My property's still here. It's got within a kilometer of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, There's a few things that worked in our favor for the firefighting. Number one, like I said, it was highly visible from the highway, so it was reported right away. Number two, it was right next to the Fraser River, so there was a, a huge water source for the helicopters. They were We had seven helicopters fighting it at one point, so they were just bucketing water from the river, dumping it, and going right back for another load. Um, the fact that the helicopters are dispatched less than a kilometer away. And there's a, a major creek that runs between us and where the fire was burning. It's called Hunter Creek, and there's major hydro infrastructure up top of that, So they were pretty motivated to fight the western flank of that fire and get it under control and stopped in its tracks from coming any further west, which they did. And I am so thankful they had up to 80 ground crews on the ground along that creek pumping water and drenching the ground. We haven't had any significant accumulation of rain since the middle of July.
0: You know, that's so very hard for us. Dry. That's so hard for us people in Florida to even think about because we get inches a day, you know, so it's, it's so hard oh. to think about it being well, that we dry. Had, we had
1: a wet. Luckily, we had a very wet spring up until July, so that had the ground saturated to that point. But since then, it's been bone kinder dry. So it wasn't ideal, but to say I'm thankful for the work the firefighters did is an understatement. And to say that I'm thankful for Miel and uh, Liz for taking the horses in and everyone that showed up and helped evacuate. I just don't be afraid to have to ask for help and have a plan before you need to know where you're going and what to do. So the best time to plan for an emergency is before you have an emergency.
0: And you're the only person I know that didn't have enough of something that's a horse girl. I'm just saying, um, usually you have too much or something. <laughs> so there's that.
1: Well, I have, if they needed saddle pads, you know, I'd have 30 of those. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but... <laughs> Oh, and halters. Have backup halters because that that Warlander filly I was telling you about that didn't want to load. First of all, she doesn't really fit her weanling halter. It's on every last hole and it's like a cinch on her face. But as we were attempting to load her, the strap that goes from her chin to her nose band broke. And I didn't have any spares or anything remotely. All the full halters are way too small and the cob size halters are too big. So
0: that's my last bit of advice is make sure you have backup halters and a variety of sizes. <laughs> More excuse to shop at dot com. <laughs> so, well, I am so glad you're okay. When I saw your post the other day, it was like, Oh, and I know that a lot of our endurance friends have evacuated from California. The huge fires that are down there. <laughs> um, and are waiting to hear about the status of their property. So I am so glad you're okay up there in British Columbia. And uh, thanks for joining us and uh, letting everybody know you're okay, but also that, you know, you need to be prepared for this stuff, whether it's hurricanes or fires or tornadoes or whatever it is, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely.
0: Thank you, Jen. I appreciate it. Yep.
1: Thanks for having me. Have a good day.
2: This horse health segment is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO corn nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. And Glenn, I am so excited to introduce our next guest, Nochi Miller. Nochi analyzes horse whorls, head shapes, and anything on the outside of the horse that tells the rest of us what's going on on the inside of the horse. Uh, she can tell us all about temperament and quirks and how the horses will move just based on these horse whorls and other things. Nochi. Welcome to Horses in the Morning.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
2: Yeah, so tell us tell us a little bit about horse whirls uh, for people who aren't uh, initiated, so to speak, and uh, how you got interested in this.
3: Well, horse whirls are the swirls and cowlicks on a horse's in a horse's hair that we all know are there, but don't often pay attention to. They're usually in the middle of the forehead, right between the eyes, all horses have them somewhere. And they develop when the horse is an embryo, when everything is really, really tiny, like the size of a pinhead. So everything is connected and touching. Mm -hmm. And as the brain develops, places where there's extra or less development cause the hair to grow different in those areas. So because of that, once the horse is much bigger, full grown, or just a full. Anyway, once the horse is much bigger, we can then look at the hair and those places where it grows different and tell where there has been extra or less development causing in the head on forehead whirls. We can tell where the brain is more and less developed to tell what the temperament will be like. Across the body, we can tell where muscles have been more or less developed or even the whole uh, bone structure underneath to tell how a horse will carry themselves and move, how their feet will track when they're walking which lead they will prefer, all sorts of
2: great things like that. This is just absolutely fascinating. Who originally came up with the idea of connecting horse whirls to all of this?
3: Well, legends and stories of horse whirls have been around for as long as people have been working with horses. I mean, we have stories passed down to us from gypsies, from um, Arab cultures, where, you know, of course, Arabs came from, where horses have been used forever. Mm -hmm. Um, Old cowboy lore gets passed down. Everywhere that there have been horses, there are stories
2: about worlds. So, yes? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Across
3: the whole world, completely separate cultures, they come up with the same basic ideas of what the worlds mean, which tells us that they've been seeing the same things. It's just fascinating.
2: It it really is. And, you know, when I first started learning about this, maybe, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, um, I was in the therapeutic riding field, I still am, but I, I had a, a halflinger, Gelding, that I was working with who was a double whorled horse, two whorls, one on top of each other. And he was so challenging to work with, and people either loved him or hated him. And I, I ended up loving him, but I will tell you this, he ended up being one of the best therapy horses I have ever worked with. Twice
3: the whirls for twice the horse. That's how people generally feel about double whirls. Now, a lot of the tradition says that double whirls are bad. And that's why I hate just going with tradition and superstition. It goes so much deeper than that. I love my double whirls. And people who love double whirls love double whirls. People who don't like double whirls, can see Don't them and know them. that they should avoid them. So that's good that you yeah. can look at the whirls and see. But yes, I've loved my double whirls too. They're wonderful horses.
2: So, so tell us, you know, if, if you have a horse with just a single whorl, uh, just tell the listeners what that generally means.
3: Well, tradition is that a single, single whirl means a great, calm, quiet horse. And most of the time that's true. But mostly a single whirl just means that we need to look at the rest of the head to get clues as to what the horse is going to be like. It really just shows us that there are no outstanding traits we can see from the
2: world. So what else would you be looking at then?
3: We would look at the profile. If it's dished, it means a sensitive horse. When it's straight, it means basic, calm, steady. Not much we can mm-hmm. see from there. If it's rounded, a convex profile means a horse who will be tough, physically tough, not like tough to work with. A horse who's physically tough and determined, some people call them stubborn. I prefer not to use <laughs> terms like that that set us up to think badly of them.
2: Right, right. So is there any floral pattern uh, that you've encountered or that you've learned about that maybe is kind of a red flag for you? <laughs>
3: I like to say that there are no bad whirls, just different ways that the horses need to be worked with. Because a high world horse needs repetition and calmness, and and by doing things over and over again, they will calm down from their naturally rather flighty. Tendencies. So, so by
2: a by a high whorled horse, you mean that the whorl is placed higher above between the eyes. It's it's like above yes. the eye line. Okay, like
3: above eye line, and they need to be ra- ridden completely different from a horse with a whorl below the eyes. Which, if you think of mules, mules almost all have low whirls, but they we look at them completely different than we do horses. But um, a low whirl, like what a mule has, they do not like repetition. And the things that we'll call them a high whirl horse will really upset them and make them not want to work. The one whirl that I personally have trouble with, because everybody has a type that they'll get along mm-hmm. with and that they won't, is a diagonal double whirl. So Generally, when worlds are placed above eye level, it means they're an extrovert. Their Mm -hmm. feelings are out there for everyone to see. They want to be moving. They want to be going. They just, you know, an extrovert. But when you have two worlds, not side by side and not stacked, but set at an angle to each other, that actually shows a right brain introvert,
0: which means they
3: hide their feelings. Um, They'll let it build and build within if you don't notice that they're stressed. And then finally, they'll, those feelings will explode. And it seems to be out of nowhere because they've been very quiet, withdrawn, and pulling into themselves. Mm-hmm. And I have one of those who is <laughs> who led me to to figure out what that meant. Because I'd be like, oh, double worlds, it means this. And people are like, no, my horse is nothing like that. am like, well, what am I getting wrong? So finally, I had this horse, and I'm like, but he's an introvert his worlds are high and he's a double. So how can he be so completely different from what I expected? And it finally made me think outside of what we think we know and realize that he and all these other horses like that were right brain introverts. And it's not that it's a bad world. It's just that we as people don't pay enough attention to what our horses are telling us through their very subtle body language. Right. And so they get upset with us without us realizing what we're doing.
2: Yeah, I, I, I like that, that you said that there's not necessarily any bad whorls, and it's just whatever is right for you individually as a person and, and matching yourself up with a horse. So we have a horse uh, right now at, at Colby's Army, which is the therapeutic riding center that I have, and he's a Belgian thoroughbred shire cross, and he has one, a single whorl right between the eyes, but it extends down kind of in a long strip halfway down his nose. And I've seen that on a couple of other horses, but I'm not sure what all that means.
3: Well, feathering in general shows left brain traits, which means calm, curious, Mm -hmm. friendly, confident. And we aren't necessarily going to see every one of those traits in every horse who is left brain, but it's a general expectation of some of the things we would expect to find. So a center world with feathering going down should mean the same as going up. I haven't been able to pinpoint any differences. But so, depending on the head shape, he should show some left brain tendencies.
2: Mm-hmm. He does. He does, and he's okay. very calm and very placid and very curious, and yes. you know, likes likes to tip the water trough over. That's fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. That's... Because he can, you know. So, <laughs> but but I I just think the the whorl patterns are fascinating, and I'm um, so you have a couple of books out, correct? Well, I have a
3: book out. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Understanding what's that. Well, it's it's a book. Yeah. <laughs> um there's a couple there's one book by by um well, there's one by Temple Grandin that I actually haven't read. I've got to get that. And one by Linda Tellington Jones that mm-hmm. go into horse worlds. And I've had Linda Tellington Jones's book forever and it's wonderful and it's excellent. And mm-hmm. when I started to write a book, I knew that I didn't want to do anything like that because what she's, she's covered.
2: All, she's already done. done it.
3: Yes. Yeah. And it's very well done. You can't it do is, it better. Yes.
2: I have that book too.
3: Yes. Well, it's, it's very yeah. good. Yeah. So when I started to write a book, I knew I wanted to do something different. So instead of covering the things she covered, I, I covered some of them because you need the basics mm-hmm. to understand everything. But I went into the science behind it read up on every single thing I could, took any classes, anything that was available. And there really isn't anything available out on worlds out there. Um, I came into all this because I was so frustrated by not being able to find more information. Mm-hmm. So I, I studied the science, found things like the hairy ball theorem, <laughs> which no, luckily has a, good, has a good name because it's really boring. It just means that you can't comb the hair on a ball flat without leaving a whirl somewhere. Oh, so it's this whole big fancy that. scientific theorem with a yeah. <laughs> great, horrible name. But that's why everything that has hair has whorls, because mm-hmm. you can't get the hair to lay flat otherwise. Right. Other, other than that, it is caused by all the interaction uh, long before birth.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But So we went to the scientific side and studied brain types and all that kind of stuff, and a bunch of new whorls that aren't included in anything else, and had a lot of fun with it.
0: I would at least I've spent this whole time looking through pictures on Facebook of my pony. I have a hacking (laughs) pony because I didn't know I you know I thought he I didn't remember. So I'm looking through and I finally found a picture close enough. I I do carriage driving, so I have a lot of pictures of his butt. Yeah. Um, and not so many pictures of his forehead. So I find and then all the pictures I have of his forehead. He's a ham. So he puts his face up and I don't get the top <laughs> of his head. I get his nose. So yeah. I finally found a picture and he, he has a big white star in the middle of his face and uh, he has a whorl right in the middle of that. So uh, and it's not real big. It's a small world right in the middle of his white star. So that means he's shining his whirl. I yes. So.
3: Um, so is the star right between the eyes? Yeah, right, right between the eyes. the eyes? Well, then that means we have to look at the rest of the head to see what he's like. If I'm, you know, hackneys aren't something I ever have a chance to look at. But I believe they generally have a convex profile.
0: Of course, they're the cutest ponies in the world. Wow. You know, that's, there's that. You
3: know. <laughs> well, I have a Facebook page where people can post pictures of their own horses. Oh, really? Um, yeah for everyone to look at and for us to analyze. And I try to get through and leave a personal analysis on everyone. I, I have, you know, a life outside of that. So sometimes it takes me a bit, but I do try to get through everyone and leave my personal comment as well as everybody else who's on there. So you should post your hackney to there.
0: All right, I'll have to post um, Scooter to there and we'll see. I know what his personality is and the audience does too, <laughs> but we'll see if the world matches. <laughs>
3: well it's equine swirls world study on Facebook. And you can find me pretty much anywhere else at Horse Whirls, HorseWhirls horse on Instagram, and Horse Whirls—I don't know, Horse Whirls something on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember my Facebook page. <laughs>
0: Actually, your Facebook page is just Horse worlds, So so you were right. Oh, that's, that's okay. all it is. Uh, well, this is interesting. I—we I w- stayed. I just said before we got you on, we stayed with somebody on our trip, and uh, she said, uh, "Well, the horse was really nice, but I wasn't going to buy it because it had two whirls." Oh. Uh, and you know it was just like she said it like that and moved on. And then you emailed me immediately after that. It was like, okay, I gotta get you on and talk about this. <laughs>
3: well uh, see, that's the problem with people's the whole the old superstition of double worlds being bad. Um, people will look at that and not buy horses based on it. And that's what a lot of people who don't like horse world study will say. It's like, oh well, but then people will judge horses. Because
0: that was be really bad. a cowboy thing, wasn't it?
3: Well, it's it's everywhere. Every culture has some some superstition regarding it. Gotcha. But yes, okay. definitely a cowboy thing.
0: Gotcha. All right, cool. Well, I'm glad you, I don't know if we cleared up the world of worlds, um, but we made a lot of bad puns. So that works for the show too. <laughs> <laughs> Nochi, thank you so much for joining us. I'll put a link to uh, your book and everything else in the show notes as well.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. It was fun.
1: Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds has one, two, three, four different formulas that we're going to chat about very briefly today. First one on the list balances the needs of horses who need calories, but they also need a little bit of focus. What's that one called? Called Mass No Staff. They also have a formula that's going to balance the needs of a horse that needs a lot of energy because he is a high performance competitor. What's that one? That one is called Freestyle Performance or Tramex. Dun, 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 because, yes, trail horses can be high-performance animals. And for senior horses or horses who have dental issues. That one's called senior. Tough to remember. And for those who want a top-quality, non-GMO feed, which is what all of Daily Dose Equine's feeds are, but they also have a really serious budget
0: that they need, they need to stick to,
1: what do, they ha- what do you have for them? We call that product Sweet and
3: Safe.
0: Well, it's time for Horses in History. I have something a little different, a little weird for you today. And, and actually, it was Faye, one of our listeners, who sent this to me and said, you got to do a Horses in History on this. And I did a little research and dug into it. Did you know that for centuries, English bakers, now this is England now, their biggest customers were horses? That's I right. did not know that. I didn't either. <laughs> in medieval England, people consumed two to three pounds of bread every day. Oh, my goodness. But you got to think, they didn't have much either. You know, so, you, you know, the bread was easy to make. It was easy to get the ingredients for, relatively easy. And it was filling. So mm-hmm. you would drink your mead because nobody drank the water. So you would drink right. your ale or whatever. And then, uh, and if you were posh, you would be drinking wine. Um, <laughs> but then you would, you would eat bread. And, of course, they all soak up each other and it makes you feel full. So bread was consumed. It was one of the main things that was consumed back then. But the horses ate more bread than the people. So it actually was called horse bread. It was typically flat, brown bread baked alongside the human bread. uh, And it was fed to the horses in the Middle Ages up until the early 1800s. Really? So we're talking from the 1300s, 1400s, about to the 1800s. And it was uh, logistically important— because uh, it, it was really highly regulated. Yes, they did have some regulations back then. But commercial bakers actually had to adhere to laws dictating who could bake horse bread, its size, and what was put in it, its composition, and all that, its price, because horses were so important. You know, they were your wow. livelihood back then. So they actually regulated the baking of horse bread. It had to be of a certain quality. Uh, they didn't care what you ate. You know, <laughs> you know, the horses had to be fed well. So it was made from a dough of bran, bean flour, or a combination of the two, and typically was fat or flat and coarse and brown. Um, huh. According to some estimates, medieval horses consumed 20 pounds of food per day, and a lot of that was the bread. Wow. So after consuming, you know, they worked really hard. They either work horses or you rode them forever all day or, you know, yeah. they pulled carriages or whatever. And they had to go to work the next day. There was no taking a day off if they were tired and sore. So the bread provided carbohydrates and protein and, and it, got him, it got it into them fast. And if you think about it, it's grain, right? It I mean, is grain. It's, yeah. Absolutely. Bread is grain. So. so So it solved the problem in two ways. And the problem they had was transporting. When you're doing a cross country ride, and you have to go fifty miles. Mm-hmm. Uh you gotta carry your or you're doing a long trip from one end of the country to another, you're a soldier, or even if you're just traveling with your carriage horse, you had to carry your grain with you because it was expensive to buy on the way. Right. Uh so this was an easy way to carry it where it also kept very well so it was a loaf so you just had to carry the loaves as opposed to carrying bags of grain and wow. so that was interesting too but they said this was interesting it was written this way in an old book and it was guided by the name of william rubel author of english Horsebread from 1590 to 1800 <laughs> yeah there's an exciting paper for you yeah uh, there you go he was a leading historian and a baker he said it The reason that – one of the reasons that they used this was it was pre-digested. Bread where you have ground the food and baked it pre-digests it so you get more calories released more quickly. Hmm. So if you think about it, they ground the flour and they ground the bran. Everything was ground that was put into bread. So got a point.
2: You know, well, yeah, and so, so I'm wondering two things. One is why did we not know this before? I mean, why is yeah, know. nobody ever known this before? Because it kind of makes sense, and, and you know, it's obviously was a big thing back in the day. And number two, how many of us are now going to go out and feed our horses bread,
0: right? Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly, they'll probably eat it. So, you know, back in the day, so what today uh, it's funny how things have changed what kind of bread today is considered like the cheap low lower class bread
2: well like wonder bread but that's, Wh- white that's bread, white right? bread yeah, yeah. well yeah. white
0: bread back in that time was only for the rich really so white bread was the bread that was fed to the elite only the rich ate white bread huh. so what happened was in the process of making white bread the the outer shells of the of the of the flour and things, were all put together to make this horse bread. So basically, you took what was left over for making the white bread for the rich, and you put it in the flour for making the horse bread. And that was fed to the middle class and the poor people ate horse wow. bread. So it was really a stigma that white bread was the thing for the rich people. And it's funny how things change, right? Uh,
2: exactly. exactly. <laughs>
0: now, now it's the bran breads and all the highfalutin breads that are, are the are the rich people's breads and the white breads, the poor people's bread. It's, it's just changed 100%.
2: It has. And maybe that's why people only lived to be 30 back in the day. <laughs>
0: that could be. <laughs> could be. Well, what they also did with the white bread was they made a really elite form a really labor intensive form of the white bread and that was fed to racehorses and what they would do is they was a couple levels of white bread and they would use the really good stuff for the racehorses uh on the day before the race cuz really? their theory was that it was you know it was enriched and it was better and you know that they should have the good stuff right before the race so well that's probably true yeah, that's what they yeah. would do. So to make the race bread, they there was a recipe in one of these old books. You want to hear what was in it? I do. Okay, so they took, uh, basically they took their uh, wheat, bean flour, and this was finely ground at this point. Right. And then they should knead it up with very sweet ale, hmm. <laughs> you know, beer, yeah, throw some beer right, in there. Right. Stronger ale was better. Uh, they beat that all together. And then they used the whites of 20 eggs— No water at all because the 20 eggs is where the liquid came from. Right. And then they put a small quantity of new milk. I love how they said new milk, you know, that that sour stuff that's been sitting around. (laughs) (laughs) Pre-pasteurization here. Um, And then it was left to rise before uh, baking, and then it came out really white and fluffy and rich. And they used that for two things, for the horses before races and for the upper, upper class for dinner. Wow! So, but that's how they made it. Twenty. <laughs> so, wow. There you go. Now this fell out. You might say, "Well, when did we stop feeding bread to horses?" It was a. It was during the early 1800s when trains started to come in, mm-hmm. and trains could carry uh, grain and things further, quicker, so it didn't spoil. So what happened was you could get grain more places and start feeding grain to the horses without having to bake it. Yeah. And then that's when it really became it just became an easier thing to feed horses without having to bake the bread. And right. that, that's when it trains are what changed that.
2: So my question then becomes: So the bread does that cover the forage too? I mean, does that?
0: Well, I'm sure they had places where. I think in that day, from what I read in books, is in that day you turned your horses out wherever you stopped. You know, they just ate the grass wherever. You know, it was yeah um, along the road or whatever. Um, They would just let their horses eat, so they got grass and things like that. But they were, you know, if you were on a if you were traveling, your horses working all day, they're not getting hay. You know, no. so no. so this was a way to fill them up quickly. And if you think about how bread fills people up, it would probably do the same for horses, right? Sure. Yeah. You'd think so. Just 20 pounds of it. <laughs> how many loaves is that? <laughs> so there, thanks to uh, Faye for sending that over. If you have any of these interesting things that you come across and you want me to do a history segment on it, I'd be happy to do that. But now you know, when you hear the term horse bread, yes, it was fed to horses. And poor people, too. And now we (laughs) feed white bread to poor people, and the rich people get the good bread. So... <laughs> switched. It's funny how that's worked. Totally backwards. It's totally yeah, three sixty on that one. Wow. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today, Lisa. Where can they find you? And hang on, auditors, because we're going to have a fun conversation about an event that Lisa was just at. And oh, before you go, I have to ask you. We've ta- every time you come on, I ask you how are your books going for getting into TV or the movies. Yeah, yeah.
2: So we've signed the contract. The the Cat Enright uh, cozy mystery series has been optioned. For television, yay! Uh, I know it's very congratulations. Exciting. Thank you.
0: It's it's very exciting. So Lisa's and, buying drinks.
2: Yeah, yeah, I will.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will. Once so, she gives her check, she's buying drinks.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I've heard we, we have a, a producer and an. Uh, a director and a showrunner and scriptwriters and all of those people are in place, and I hear that we're going to be hopefully uh, shooting in uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta, Canada, sometime in the spring. Which I was There's telling a lot being shot
0: in Canada now, just because yeah, it's so you know, much cheaper, right?
2: They will give you forty percent of your production budget, the government. Wow. Does. Yeah. So that's why everything is, is being shot in Canada. Uh, but I, I asked the producer, I said, so so like spring in Saskatchewan is like, what, in July? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> so so um, When are they yeah. going to start casting? You know, they, they've got to get, get the first script done first. And um, then they're probably later this fall, they'll, they'll start casting. And yeah. have
0: you insisted that the cat uh, Enright, the main character, at least be a horse person so that we're not cringing every time I, she gets um, on a horse.
2: <laughs> I am hoping. And I told them that if for some reason she couldn't ride really well, I would volunteer to come and teach her how to ride. And, and you know, but here's the thing, Glenn you can't, you can't teach horse sense like overnight, no. really.
0: But and know? that's why Heartland worked. It's yes. Because she, yes. you know, they were horse people. Yeah. So that's exactly. why it worked. Yeah. For horse people. Now I don't know that non horse people would know the difference, right? But and yours is mainly murder mysteries anyway, but it does involve horses a lot. Oh, there's a lot of yeah. horse
2: stuff in there. And and you know, that was the one thing that I had in a contract was that, you know, I got to be on as a production consultant on the horse scenes so that they Yay. wouldn't look cheesy and stupid. Yeah. You know. I know.
0: <laughs> you know the sound guy's gonna get fake no. winnies in there anyway, right?
2: Oh, I know. I know, I know. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Is that in so, your contract? No fake winnies?
2: No fake winnies. Not in the contract, Glenn. <laughs> oh, could no. not negotiate that one.
0: We so. <laughs> watched a movie the other day, and I forget what it was. It was an old western or something. And the guy was riding a donkey, and every step the donkey took, there was a bray. And the oh. donkey's mouth was not moving at all. Every step. Bray, <laughs> bray, 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 all the way through the scene. It was like, you've got to be kidding me.
2: The, that sound guy had to justify his or her that's experience right. here. That's you right. know, get the paycheck because look at look at all the sound I put in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a donkey bray that much. <laughs> no, no, while being ridden. <laughs> exactly.
2: So, yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's well. Funny.
0: Congratulations.
2: Thanks. Thanks. I, uh, so, so
0: um, will casting will our listeners be able to go to the casting call? And uh,
2: probably, I can it? let everybody know when and where it is. I I don't know. Anything about that at this point? So, I think Jamie um, should
0: try out. I think she that should. That would be great. Yeah, she I don't be. know that she would, but I think she should. She should. Yes, she should. At least she'd uh, have somebody that could ride. I don't know how her acting skills some... are.
2: <laughs> and she might not like Saskatchewan all that well. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's true. It's a long way from <laughs> Oklahoma. So
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we can always hope. I
0: have to you look know. up where Saskatchewan is. I'm not even sure. Is that where Calgary is?
2: Uh, Calgary is in Alberta, um, and that's the other place that they were talking about filming, Saskatchewan and Alberta. So I Yeah, think you know is... all
0: of our Canadian listeners are now pissed at me and going, you don't know where that is? And it's like, well, I, I was going to look it up, but I don't even know how to spell it. So we'll
2: probably have a lot of of, of uh, chatter in the auditor room about,
0: about where exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. Canada is. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> so there's uh,
0: some people now thinking, I can try out for that role. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah, I play—you don't even let me play me. There's going to be some guy in gray hair playing me. There will be. It's going to like be. Santa
2: Claus. There will be. And Glenn, mm. I mean, honestly, it's not going to be uh, Brad Pitt. No. It's just not. He's not gray I, enough. He's not. No. He's not. No. And and he's— And uh, uh, who's
0: the guy Jennifer loved? He d- died, though. He played 007. Uh, Sean Connery's dead, Sean so Connery, he can't play yeah, me. He can't,
2: he can't do no. that either. Yeah, that's going to be tough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who's the other old guy who plays in every old movie? Um, the cowboy. Uh. Um,
2: I don't know. I don't know who
0: you're thinking about. His mustache. Uh, big mustache. Cowboy. Tom Selleck? Well, Tom could play me. That'd be perfect. He's is getting Tom gray Selleck? enough. He has to be gray by now.
2: <laughs> he does. <laughs> That'd be perfect. He does. If he has any hair left.
0: I'll call him and see if he's yeah. free.
2: Yeah. You just call, call Tom if he up. he any hair left. Yeah. Is
0: yeah. he still alive, by the way? I think he is. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, doesn't he I, I play? Know. Isn't Tom Selleck the one that plays in the in that uh, cop show?
2: Yeah, he does. Well, he does. Does he do the Jesse Stone murders, murder mysteries? I have to say, back back in what the eighties, I had a huge crush on Tom Selleck.
0: I, I think every girl had a huge crush on Tom yeah, Selleck. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. plays in Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. Yes, yeah. He does. So he's not yes. going to come do our thing if he's he's making probably, probably a million dollars an episode over there. Oh, easily. So he's not going to. play. he's darn. Damn. Darn. All right. Well, I we'll have to come up. With you somebody. might have to pay, play yourself. Oh, I could do that. I'll go to if I can figure out how to say it and where it is. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> that audition is going to be great. I won't. Yeah. I would flunk auditioning for myself.
2: You probably would. Yeah. They, at least, at least you're honest about it. Though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would go in, try and read the script, screw it all up, and they would go, "No, he can't play that guy." No, yeah. No. Yeah. He the has to be better than that when In fact, I'm not. So. <laughs> Oh, that's funny Congratulations Auditors, hold on There we go (laughs) It's been one of those days It is